This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, good morning. I'm Cooper Pataka, National Recruiting Analyst with 24-7 Sports. Joined by the traveling man, Andrew Ivins, the analyst covering the state of Florida and Georgia. And Drew, this weekend, your travels took you to Sin City, Las Vegas. You came back. You said you had a couple ideas on the betting lines. I'm trying to figure out, were you there for actual work or pleasure? What, what was the deal? And tell us a little bit about your weekend in Vegas. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people of my peers, right, that aren't in the industry think I just went out to Vegas and had this awesome time. And then I'm like, I was there for four days, didn't have one sip of alcohol. And I placed one bet, one bet, Belmont Stakes, uh, Mo Dingle. Thank you for cashing. I watched that in a sports book uh, before some of the games at the OT7, OT7 event took place. Um, and I, I won, man. I, I hit. It was like 20 to win 75 bucks. So uh, I was like, I can't bet again after that. Um, but it was a long couple of days. That's part of the job, though. Uh, what really sucked for me is every game out in Las Vegas was played at uh, 7 p.m. local time, 7 to 10, uh, due to it being so hot because it's like 115 degrees during the day in Las Vegas right now. Um, so I was adjusting to like body clock, you know, 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night back on the East Coast. I'm normally in bed by then. So I'm still... Um, recovering in terms of the sleep department, but it was an awesome event. I had my doubts and uh, overtime exceeded them. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, good competition. It reminded me a bit of the opening finals a few years ago. And I think we, we we learned a lot and that's what you want to get out of one of these events, especially when you're trying to evaluate talent and scout talent. Heavy hitter event, no doubt. I'm glad you were there. You got to see some of the top quarterbacks in the country. Malachi Nelson, who's our number two quarterback, in the top 24-7, you also saw Nico Iemailieva, who's our number three quarterback, and then Dante Moore, who's our number four quarterback. So all three of those guys are there. I want to jump right into it, Drew. A, a lot of talent. Cormani McLean was there. That's our number four ranked player in the top 24-7. I'm going to go ahead and just start and lob this question right at you. Who did you think, point blank, was the best player in attendance this weekend in Las Vegas? I think if I'm a general manager, right, and I'm assembling my my team, I'm I'm drafting Nico Iamalieva. If I have the first round pick, um, having seen all these guys talk about positional value, upside ceiling, all that stuff, I'm I'm all on board um, with Nico. And I know he didn't win the, the the championship. It was the South Florida Express. Ended up taking down Cam Newton's team. Cam Newton's team was led by uh, Dante Moore. But to me, I just thought the most um, I hate using the word intriguing, so I'm not going to use the word intriguing, but uh, the, the, the guy that looked like he had the highest ceiling there was probably Nico. I mean, he's all of six foot five, six foot six. I mean, I've seen him throw before. Uh, I was just super impressed with his, his physical demeanor, how big he is. You know, Chris Singletary, our colleague, was there, um, and I pointed to Nico's dad, and, and Chris didn't know who that was. And I'm like, look, that's Nico's dad. I mean, he's going to fill out eventually because Nico's dad looks like, 
he could be the bouncer anywhere in America, um, you know, or, or a bodyguard. I mean, he's just a big, big dude. So you have to think at some point Nico is going to get bigger. Um, but I just loved everything about Nico. Now, he wasn't there on Thursday night. I think there were some travel issues, uh, but he shows up on Friday. He was my alpha dog on Friday night. Saturday, really, all the quarterbacks struggled. Uh, there was a ton of interceptions thrown. Um, but I thought Nico was the most consistent kind of, of of the big three. And then on Sunday, you know, we saw a little bit of adversity from him. He had to lead his team back, rally them uh, in the opening round of, of bracket play. They were the number two seed, almost lost to the 15 seed. I think it was a 15 or 16 seed. Uh, and he, he had a battle back. Um, and then in the next round, he, he almost led another comeback, but came up a little bit short. And I really don't think it was his fault. You know, some of these other teams were so loaded with skill players, uh, four and five stars, and, and his team, Team TOA, was kind of really a one-man show. I mean, they had Rico Walker, the top 247 defensive end. Uh, he was playing like a slot receiver for them. They had some Hawaii commit um, that's not even ranked by us at, at another one of the receiver spots. So he didn't have the, the best supporting cast, but man, I just love everything about him. Attacks, attacks down the field. I think he tries to challenge himself. And, you know, the more I've been marinating on this, um, the thing that gets me excited about Nico is the fact that the arm, which is super talented, I mean, he can whip it like no other in this class of 2023, isn't even married to the feet yet. His upper body and lower body aren't in sync yet. And I think once those are aligned together, I don't know how long that's going to take. He has a chance to be super special on Saturdays and then potentially one day uh, on Sundays. I got to see him a few weeks ago in, in, in Nashville at the Elite 11 Regionals. And this is what I like about this. You get to see him a, a few weeks later in a completely different setting, in a competitive setting in Las Vegas where he's playing in 7 on 7, where I saw him kind of go through this u unique kind of pro day combine uh, at the Elite 11 Regionals. And I, I think our takes were different a little bit. I thought Nico struggled when I when I saw him live, but you also saw the flashes of what he could be. So talking to you even before the show over the weekend from what you saw from Nico, I think that's so promising in terms of what you see with the developmental upside, but promising with the player already. And I guess my next question for you, I knew after I saw him, I kind of threw a little bit of cold water in terms of, okay, is he going to be able to step in day one in Knoxville and make an immediate impact. What is your read on that in terms of his short-term projection and being able to contribute right away? Well, I, I love him in Josh Heupel's offense, right? Because it's it's kind of, you know, one, two, three-step throw. Uh, it's not a super complex scheme. I mean, I, they want to throw it around the yard. But I do think since he's going to Tennessee, that's the scheme he's going into. I think he's going to be able to get on the field early. I think with Nico, it's really going to come down to what goes on in this headspace up here, right? How does he attack this? I mean, he is essentially, it, it was crazy. Over time, they handed out a, a media guide, right? So you start reading through the media guide. It talks about every team. Well, you get to Team TOA and it's a, hey, this is Nico's team. Um, you know, Nico apparently has a, it, it, it basically had in writing that he's got an $8 million NIL deal out there. I mean, I can't believe they put that in print. I mean, if we put that in print, I, I think it'd be a lot different story. Um, but what I'm getting to is there's a ton of pressure for Nico Ayamalieva right now. Uh, aside from Arch Manning, uh, who is well known for what, his last name, Nico is the most popular recruit in, in the class of, of 2023. That's a lot of weight on your shoulders. I mean, 
I, I, you know, I was watching him and, and this is circling back to who I would I'd select number one overall. And this wasn't like an interview type setting. I mean, I didn't have him on a whiteboard or anything, but I just wanted to see his interactions through this whole tournament. How did he handle the spotlight? And I thought he handled it like a pro. I mean, he, he took photos for so many different kids, signed autographs, um, was just, was, was just what you wanted to see from someone, uh, in, in terms of being a role model, how he handled himself with his teammates. He wasn't yelling at anyone. You know, I, I barely have any type of relationship with him. Maybe he recognizes my face, but I pulled him aside right from, before a game just to ask him a question. And, you know, yes, normally kids are going to respond to me, but sometimes these kids can get so polluted uh, and their heads can be so big that, you know, it's just kind of a turnoff. And with Nico, I mean, he he was all about it. He's embraced that role. Um, so I'm not as worried as I once was. And I know this is a very small sample size, four days, three, four days at a seven on seven tournament where the stakes aren't that high. But, you know, I'm not as concerned as I once was that he's going to get to Knoxville uh, and crumble under pressure or anything like that. You know, I, I still think there's going to be an adjustment period. It's going to take some time. Um, he's going to need to add, I think, some mass to that frame. That would be my concerning thing. You know, what happens when Dallas Turner comes on the blind side and, and hits him in the back? You know, is he holding on to that football? Is he getting up from that hit? We don't really know the answer to that question. So, you know, I, I, I think it's going to take some time, but I could see him on the field early. Um, and, and I'm not as – there's not much of a red flag for me when it comes to character and expectations. Obviously, it's different when you're living in an SEC town and, and you know, 100,000 people are screaming – um, but I, you know, I, I think I saw some positives in, in terms of what's going on up here in that headspace. That says a lot. I mean, this was a loaded event. We talked about the three of the top four quarterbacks in the country that were there. So for Nico Aimelieva to be the first quarterback that you mentioned, the first player that you mentioned, I think that says a lot. But Drew, what what was that gap like? Like when you say the first guy that I'm taking is Nico Aimelieva. Is that a conversation that you're having? Is Malachi Nelson in that conversation? Is Dante Moore in that conversation? Or is this, hey, this is no doubt I'm running that pick up to the podium and this is a guy that I want? Well, I would I would want to do a little more homework, but you know, that's that's what I would do. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of NFL front offices, you're gonna have some colleagues or some other people that are gonna have their own opinions. And and, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if those people we're pushing Dante Moore on us. You know, I thought Dante Moore had an awesome weekend. Uh, he played for Cam Newton's squad, and Cam um, is, a, is a very crafty, talented offensive coordinator, and he does a nice job of, of sheltering his quarterbacks. That's kind of the word I would use for it. I don't think Dante Moore really took many vertical shots, so it's hard to, you know, knock him for not, you know, he's doing what the, what the play caller is asking. He, he's not being asked to push the ball down the field. Um, but he was he was accurate. He was in control. Like I said, he led his team to the finals. And, you know, the, the thing I always go back into my head with, with Dante Moore is he's only 17 years old. He just turned 17. So he's young for his grade. Um, and, and so many of these blue chip quarterbacks, it's, it's the complete opposite. You know, they should actually be um, in the class of 2022 and not the class of 2023. I mean, Dante Moore essentially could be a class of 2024 prospect. So, you know, I, I still think there's a bunch of growth with him. In the past, I've, I've seen Dante play seven on seven, and he's kind of a streaky guy. You know, um, he'll look great, and then there's just a bad ball. There really wasn't a ton of bad balls. He was crisp, um, you know, made some high level throws to the outside. So he'd probably be the number two guy for me. Um, and and it, I'll say this you know, Dante Moore on Friday nights in Detroit at, at, at his high school is 30 and six, right? He's 30 and six. Um, he's got a good big body of work with Nico Iamalieva, 
he doesn't have that same body work. He hasn't played as much football, padded football under the lights. So I think that's that's the interesting debate between the two. Now, Malachi Nelson, um, this was my first live exposure to him. Um, I didn't think he had the best of, of tournaments. And, and talking with Greg Biggins, who uh, is on the West Coast for us, he told me that Malachi's father had told him before anything started. And this wasn't really like an excuse, but Malachi was kind of dealing with some stuff in his shoulder you know, I, I guess I can verify that because I, I took some photos and Malachi, you'll see right up in here, he's got, he's been cupped, you know, where they, where they cup you kind of as that therapeutic thing. I only know that because of CrossFit. Um, so, but I do know that there must've been some type of rehab going on. Um, you know, I thought Malachi was just too focused at, uh, on times about taking the deep shot, um, just really wasn't consistent. He ended up getting pulled um, by the South Florida Express. I think he went like three and out and then threw an interception. So they pulled him and they put another kid in, Colin Hurst, who's like an FCS level quarterback. He ended up winning overall MVP of the tournament as selected by overtime. So not the greatest of weekends for Malachi Nelson. I'm not going to sit here and knock him. You know, I know I'm going to see him in the fall under under the lights uh, when they travel to face American Heritage. Um, I think it's like week one or week two. So, you know, just not the best of outings, but that's why you do this. This is why you get live exposures of, of so many different guys. And, and that's why it's an ongoing uh, evaluation process. You don't want to put all your all, all your weight in one simple seven on seven outing. I mean, I think that'd be a, a bit a bit ridiculous, excuse me. Uh, but this weekend, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly probably would have ranked him fourth because I would have had Jaden Rashada uh, ahead of him. So let's talk a little bit more about Jaden Rashada. Rashada coming up with uh, on a decision, I believe, June 18th. Uh, so that's coming up here in a couple of days. He's taking a lot of OVs. He's going to Texas A&M. He's going to Florida. I believe those are the two teams that have now separated late in the process. He's also been to LSU. What did you oh, see out of Rashada? The, the, he was a guy, and we have in the back end of the top 32, but it's a guy that we believe – and his upside and the type of player that he can be, he's still putting it together. I believe he was a 59% career passer. So there's still a lot of parts of his games that he needs to iron out. But what did you like from him that you saw this weekend? Well, I loved his his his, his medium range throws, right? So that 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 10 to 20 yard range, I, I think that's where he, he's best. You know, we didn't see a lot of short stuff from him. Um, you know, there were some deep balls as well. He, he linked up with Jurion Dickey, uh, the Oregon wide receiver commit. But I thought that's that was Jaden Rashada's sweet spot is that that 10 to 25 yard area. He throws a, a really pretty ball, tight spiral, uh, you know, over the top throwing motion. Um, and he, 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 you know, when he's on, he's on. I, I use streaky to, 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 to describe Malachi Nelson. I probably should have saved that word. For Jaden Rashada, you know, because I, I, I like when he's when he's locked in and, and dialed in, um, he's he's pretty hard to stop in that seven on seven setting. I, you know, I, I thought, you know, aside from that, you know, he, he's got a big frame um, and he still seems to be like some guy that his best football is well ahead of him. And now I, I, I think to me, you know, I, I would like to see him in, in more of a, a shotgun type of offense, you know, where he can throw it around as opposed to him being some type of uh, maybe maybe game manager getting under center and all that stuff. I think he's a guy who just gotta just kind of let him let it let it rip, um, and, and you can you know kind of protect him with a run game and stuff like that. But you know the tools are definitely there. Where where if it all comes together, I think uh, he's he's gonna win some games on Saturdays. I love his fit at Texas A and M. Just you know just going back and, and kind of touching on his recruitment a little bit. We talked about A and M. We talked about Florida, but you think about the weapons that A&M 
has brought in over the last couple of years, Evan Stewart, Chris Marshall, uh, to, to name a few at the wide receiver position. They're in good standing with Hakeem Williams as well, another guy out of South Florida that we like a lot. The, the backfield with Le'Veon Moss that they brought in, there is no shortage of dynamic playmakers for AM. It's almost like they're just missing that piece, and that's going to be a really interesting conversation to see who emerges for them this year, uh, you, you know, whether that's going to be uh, Max Johnson or Connor Wigman. Um, so we'll see what happens with Jaden Rashada, but I love his fit, Texas A&M. Sorry, I'm pivoting there. No, no, um, because you're right. I, I mentioned, like, to me, I don't know if Jaden Rashada fits what Billy Napier in, in Florida want to do. Like, does that make sense? Like, I I just – I don't know if that's, if that's what – they want to do. And I mean, I'm basing this on what I know about Napier at Louisiana in the, in a spring game, really. I just, I, I don't know if that's the perfect marriage in terms of like scheme and, and talent and what, and what Rashad I can do. Now that doesn't mean he can't go to Florida and have success. I just, you know, I agree with you. I think Oregon or sorry, Texas A&M would make a, a, a ton of sense. I think LSU Ole Miss, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I think Florida's. I, I think Florida's scheme in terms of the quarterback position we saw with Levi Lewis at, at ULL. I, I, I think there is more weight put on the quarterback as a runner, which is why I think Anthony Richardson is a really good fit for what Billy Napier wants to do in year one. So we'll continue to kind of see what Florida is recruiting, how they're recruiting the quarterback position, and how that's going to play out in the future. I think Jaden Rashad is going to be a good player wherever he decides to go. Regardless, I think Texas A&M. Uh, is certainly in position to get the most out of them. But, Drew, let's move on. Another quarterback, 2024, one of the guys that you've been high on, another guy that I saw in person. It's kind of funny, right? So we have these seven-on-seven seven settings, and then we kind of have these Elite 11 UC Report Combine settings. And, and, and you kind of are starting to see the contrast uh, in terms of the performance level and the drills that these guys are going through. And, and then in the seven-on-seven seven settings, maybe more of a comfortable setting that they've had more exposure to throughout – earlier in their high school career. What did you think about our number two quarterback in the class of 2024, Jaden Davis? That's my guy, right? You know, I saw him in the FBU freshman All-American game. I think that was the first invite we handed out for the 2024 edition of the All-American Bowl. Um, loved loved him. You know, again, you know, I didn't, I didn't think he was maybe the most consistent guy all three days because he wasn't there uh, on Thursday. But um, he throws a, a pretty football to look at. Uh, he's really good on the move, which sounds weird, but like in this seven on seven tournament, uh, a lot of teams are rolling their guys out. Um, and we're actually seeing some of that in, in football now, like two point conversion stuff that if you take a step back and like, look at the same play, it's, it's very seven on seven. Like you're trying to spread out the defense. Um, and, and then you could blitz in this tournament. And, and it, there was a few times where Jaden and some of these other guys were, were forced to essentially scramble, come back across the field and, and throw the football. And I thought Jaden did that better um, than anyone else. You know, with me, I, I just think, you know, he's he's pretty far along in, in terms of where he is development to, from what I saw out in Las Vegas. Like, why hasn't one of these schools searching for a quarterback talked about maybe getting him to reclassify? Like we mentioned Florida, you know, Jaden's also kind of a mobile guy, a, a runner. I mean, that was my big takeaway. I, I, I just think he's, you know, he's, he's further along than, than most people would probably realize, but he was impressive. Um, not the biggest subdued, but Chris Singletary pointed this out. He's still big enough. You know, he, he he's probably over six foot, but he, he's got a thick build to him. He was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan shirt for one of the games one of those days. I, I kind of love that, um, you know, but he, he's good. I, you know, Michigan's in there. He was wearing some Michigan cleats, um, but certainly he's going to be a name we talk about a lot, I feel like. 
once we get through some of these these quarterback dominoes in 23 um, because he's going to he's he's going to be a hot name in, in in 2024. Well, you said it. He he has an explosive frame and I think when when I saw him in person uh, a few months ago, that, that was one thing that stood out. I think, like you said, it was more the consistency and it's hard. You got to go back and you got to remember to tell yourself, like, you know, this is one exposure point and right. a very uh, long process in the evaluation process. And the arm talent is there without a doubt, undoubtedly. I think at the time we had him as a number one player in the country, we kind of scaled that back a little bit. I mean, he's sitting there at number nine, right? <laughs> so uh, he's still a very elite player. Not like we moved eyes. From, it's not like he went from our first round mock to like sixth round, you know? It was just kind of interesting. I heard somebody talking this weekend. They're like, yeah, you know, I heard all this skepticism about Nico Imelieva and his footwork and, you know, how he needs to put on weight. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I know where that's coming from. It's coming directly from me, you know, the last time I saw him a couple of weeks ago. But the guy's the number three player in the country. Yeah. We haven't touched him, you yeah. know, but it, listen, part of the game, I guess. But uh, Drew, moving on, and I kind of I, I want to pivot a little bit, but I want to see if you have any thoughts on this. To me, somebody is going to get left at the altar when it comes to the, the 2023 quarterback race. Uh, there are a lot of heavy hitters involved. We've talked about Texas A&M and Florida. Jaden Rashada, it seems like he's got it down to those two. C.J. Carr commits in the class of 2024. We've talked a lot how high I am on him personally. He commits to Notre Dame. There's talk about him reclassifying to 2023. Our director of recruiting, Steve Wolfong, had a report uh, last week talking about where Dante Moore and Notre Dame kind of stand with each other. And to me, I kind of get the feel that Hey, maybe those two might not end up together at the end of the day. You got Michigan hanging around, you got LSU hanging around, but there's so many dominoes. Oregon's in there as well. I read a report that Oregon feels confident about Dante Moore. It, it's just kind of interesting to look at. And then you got Arch Manning coming off a, a official visit at Alabama. Now Alabama says they're going to take two. You can't discount them. Eli Holstein's already in the boat there. Dylan Lonergan has already taken officials to Alabama and South Carolina. He's got one more left to, to Stanford. Drew, just your general thoughts you're, you're, on this entire process. You're missing another big kind of like storyline sidebar situation. Ohio State. They bring in Austin. Ohio State. Dad, uh, the, the, uh, the Baylor commit, right? Uh, they're also involved with Brock Glenn. So you've got Auburn once Brock Glenn. Okay. Miami is also down here. You know, what are they going to do? They had Emory Williams. We've discussed that before on the show. He goes and throws for them. I, essentially, from my understanding, just talking to the guys at Inside the U, he's kind of got the green light to commit to Miami, but he doesn't commit because he wants to go throw for some of these other schools. you got Florida State, right? They have Chris Parson. That's kind of their guy. Well, they also bring in two official visitors, Brock Glenn, Ricky Collins, who's committed to Purdue. And then Chris Parson goes and takes a visit to Mississippi State. So it's like, a big game of magical hats right now. Like where, who, what's going to happen? It, 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 you're right. People are going to get left out. They're going to be left at the altar. Um, and it, I mean, we can try to play through this right now. Like how do we see this shaking out? So Jaden Rashada, he goes to Texas A&M. What does that mean for Dante Moore? Does he go to LSU or Oregon? I think those are two likely landing spots uh, for him. Uh, Austin Novosad, he flips to Ohio State. I think that's, that's realistic. I think D Dylan Longergan, he could end up at Stanford. Um, Brock Glenn, I, I don't know what happens if he wants to go to Florida State, you know, like what, where does Auburn go in all this thing? So it is kind of wild while it, it, it feels, it doesn't feel normal. Like normally most of these guys are locked in at this point. Normally it's only like one or two 
quarterbacks that are still on the market mid-June heading into July. And then you get the Elite 11 finals. And every year, there is one guy that's like uncommitted that just shoots up some boards. It was like Luther Richardson last year. Um, but it, it just, you know, it doesn't feel like a normal quarterback cycle. And, it, and maybe that's a product of just how wild um, the, the, the coaching turnover was. In, in December and January in late November. Maybe that's what this is all circling back to. I think it comes down to Dante Moore, and I think Jaden Rashada really helps. I mean, we can't forget Dante Moore has a visit to Texas A&M. You know, <laughs> so if, if that happens and he decides to pull the trigger before Jaden Rashada commits here in a few days, then, you know, it starts to get really wacky. But I do think let, let's play it out. Hypothetical scenario. I, I would say Rashada ends up at College Station with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. I think Dante Moore is really the wild card. I have no pulse on him. But if he doesn't go to Notre Dame, you have Oregon, Michigan and LSU in that picture. Uh, and those are three teams in need of a quarterback. I, I think Michigan's probably in the best spot. And uh, in, in LSU is in a good spot in terms of the quarterback room that they have right now. But Oregon's a really quarterback needy room as well. Now they have Avery Johnson, who we saw in Nashville a couple weeks ago right. and, and got his invite to the Elite 11 finals. He will be he's already made an official visit to Washington. He will be making an official visit to Oregon. If I had to bet money right now, Avery Johnson, in my opinion, ends up at Oregon. Uh, and, and that's where I think he lands. Then it becomes a Dante Moore Michigan LSU type of conversation. What, what about Miami with them? Mario Cristobal loves Dante Moore. He's been there multiple times. I don't think. I, I don't think. Listen, I I think Miami's kind of in this pretty fascinating uh, conversation right now in terms of the quarterback level. I think they're going to continue to take a shot. I don't know if it's reciprocated interest. Uh, on behalf of Dante Moore. A lot of people love Dante Moore. You just mentioned uh, a couple reasons why people love Dante Moore. I think he'd be a really good fit at Michigan. I think he'd be a really good fit at LSU. But those are two new type of situations. You've got a new offensive coordinator in Sharon Moore at Michigan. It's going to be his first time calling it. Mike Denbrock, who comes over from Cincinnati, is going to be with Brian Kelly at LSU. So maybe that's a little bit more stable of a situation. But to me, LSU has the most to gain in Jaden Rashada's recruitment. Even though they push for Jaden Rashada, if Jaden Rashada decides to go to Texas A&M, that opens the door for LSU and Dante Moore. And, I, and I'm going to be uh, super fascinated. Obviously, we'll be glued to that one. But, I mean, <laughs> hypothetically, we could do this all day. Uh, June 18th, I think that picture will become a little bit clearer. And if I had to pick right now, Dylan Lonergan, where does he go? I think he goes to South Carolina at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, so, we forgot about South Carolina. I mean, there, there's just so many, not like blue bloods, but like so many like big name programs that are just trying to find a quarterback, right? I mean, right. And and if and if if there was one team that was going to get left out, to me, that would be Miami. I was going to uh, say that was, was going to ask you who's in a worse spot right now, Miami or Florida. Here's here's my question though: If Florida doesn't get Rashada, where do they pivot? Well, longer right? against Gainesville. He's been to Gainesville, but I believe, don't quote me on this, I believe his top three is Alabama, South Carolina, and Stanford. Um, so if he's making a decision out of those three, I think Florida, Miami, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, both of those guys are going to be in pretty tough spots. Now, Miami does like Emory Williams a lot. We, we've kind of documented that 
they've liked him through the entire process. So if they do end up with him, maybe he's a contingency plan, but it's a guy that they've done their due diligence on. I don't know where Florida goes. To me, Andrew, you brought this up a, a few weeks ago. Brock Glenn makes a lot of sense for them to pivot. I don't know if yeah. Florida State's the best situation. I don't know if Auburn's the best situation. So if I'm Florida and and you know, I get in this situation where I miss out on Jaden Rashada, to me, that's a mutually beneficial relationship for Brock Glenn. And we talked about the fit from a football fit. I'm not sure how much it makes sense, but from a fit in terms of like, hey, this is the market is dried out and I think we can make this relationship work. I think that part partnership makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah, so, Brock, Brock's a better runner than you give him credit for. Sure. And it's not it's not one of those things where I think that offense is going to be completely tailored around the legs of a quarterback. But it no, is something um, that that I think uh, is a nice feather in the cap of, of to have for Billy Napier at the quarterback position. So that was fun. I enjoyed that. Now, Drew, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to pivot now to the receiver position. I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. This was a stacked uh, event in terms of the receiver position. We had Carnell Tate there, who was ranked the number two receiver in the top 24-7. We had Brandon Ennis there, ranked the number three, both from the Sunshine State. Noah Rogers, a guy that's going to continue to climb for us out of the state of North Carolina. And then Bryson Rogers, a guy that me and you have had a lot of conversation on back and forth. But what do all four of these guys have in common? They all might end up playing for the scarlet and gray at the end of the day, which is ridiculous. Even going back, and I was thinking about Ohio State's class last year with Brian Hartline and the guys that they had, Keon Gray's, Kojo Antwi, uh, a couple of these guys, Caleb Burton, uh, that they all brought through. To me, this class would be even better. Oh, I, I don't I, even, that's not even a question. Like yeah, I, without without a doubt. But I, I want to ask. We have Tate two, we have Ennis three. Jury on Dickey was there as well. We'll get to him in a little bit. Who's the best receiver, in your opinion, there in Las Vegas this weekend? Well, I don't think there's a better seven-on-seven -seven player in, in America than, than Brandon Ennis. Are you I, skating it? Are you skating well, it by I, saying seven-on-seven? Seven, what, what are we talking about here? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, I don't know if that answers your question. I I, I, I mean, it was an elite, elite groups. I think with Brandon Ennis, man, we've, we've seen him in these type of settings, and it was kind of crazy. I was talking to – uh, Brett Getz, who who's the founder of South Florida Express and kind of runs that team after they won the title. And he's like, man, it's it's over. It's kind of sad because Brandon Ennis had been their guy for the past five years and and he's done playing seven on seven. But to me, you know, I, I think Brandon Ennis has been on the scene so long that we just like pick him apart and pick him apart and pick him apart. Um, he's just good. Like he, he's really good. With the ball after, you know, with the ball in his hands after the catch, that's the one area of his game I think he has improved so much. And yeah, it's touch football setting where I mean, all you got to do is tag the guy. But man, he he would juke some guys and, and pick up huge chunks, 20, 30 yards. And then you know, I saw that this spring when in padded situations, and Amon Ross St. Brown has been the comp for him for the longest time. And and Steve Wiltfong, our colleague, has tossed this one out to me and. I'm starting to buy it a little bit more. What about like Jarvis Landry, a big, thick slot receiver um, that can extend plays and, and just knows how to get open. So, you know, I really, 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 really like Brandon Ennis. I, I think it'd be hard to make him the number one wide receiver. Um, but I think some of us tearing him down or some of the negatives, and I, I don't think we as talent evaluators should overthink this one. I mean, he is, he is good at football. Um, you know, Jurion Dickey, 
I, I tweeted it out. I mean, you you hammered him in the, in the stock market last 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 show, didn't did you not? Was that correct? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, coach. That was a uh, that was a that was a blue chip hammer for the boys, right? That there. was a blue chip hammer, and he delivered it cashed right away. I mean, he was awesome. No one in Las Vegas ran a better like post post corner route than him, and he kept destroying defensive backs with that route. I mean, you look at him, you don't anticipate him being all that explosive. And then you see him one run, excuse me, one route, and he's just got the juice. Um, he, he, he gets north very, very quickly. Uh, he's excellent at tracking the ball in the air. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of him because I think the one aspect of his game that really makes him different is the ability to break tackles and, and get off guys. And you don't really have to do that in seven on seven, uh, just given given how you know the rules of the game and that. Um, Noah Rogers, uh, he's kind of a different flavor than all those guys. Um, a little bit more more lean, a little bit longer. Um, you know, he just he, he got deep touchdown after deep touchdown. But you know, I've seen him in the past at different camps. He's not really a, like a linear specialist. I mean, he's got some wiggle to him. He can get open. He was awesome. Um, and then you know, Bryson Rogers. This guy we have is a three-star. I go to his spring game. I don't think he catches a pass, and that was maybe more of a product of them breaking in a new quarterback after he played last season with Rocco Becht, who signed with Iowa State. Um, but he's he, he's not one that's going to you know blow you away with his, his size, his speed. But he just does all the all the little things really well, and that allows him to get open. So you know, if, if Bryson Rogers is the number four wide receiver um, for Ohio State, like to me that is just that is just crazy. Uh, because he can play for sure. And, and that really just speaks volumes to Brian Hartline, zone six, the tradition of that room. And, you know, guys want to sign up to play for Ohio State because um, they're going to catch a lot of passes and you're going to get to the NFL. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Drew, are you sticking with that rating for Bryson Rogers? I'm going to put you on the spot. Dude, I was going to send out an email this morning to us. Like, are we going to discuss some potential moves on Wednesday? Because I, I got a lot from uh, OT7, and I think moving Bryson Rogers up to at least a 90 um, would, would make the most sense. I don't know if he's inside our top 247, but I would like uh, – I'll sleep easier at night knowing that he's a 90 going to Ohio State than I would him being – what is he, like an 88 right now? 88. Idiot. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to talk about that one. Talk to me about Carnell Tate. And I want to get your thoughts on this because you and I saw him in Orlando at Pylon seven on seven. We have him as a number two receiver. You turn on the game tape. This guy is hard not to love, but he's a, he's a four seven two. He's a low, low four seven. Yeah, he ran that. He, he ran that. Uh, excuse me. 
twice uh, in over a year span, which to me is a little bit of a head scratcher. I thought that would have improved just a little bit. Now, you don't see that on the game tape. I think the play speed is really not in question there. And then you kind of see him in person and you're kind of lukewarm on him, really, in terms of the, how, how dynamic the athlete is. And that's not to say that he's not a, a good player, but I'm interested to get your thoughts on what you saw on him compared to the rest of the field of the guys. Jurion Dickey, like we talked about, Brendan Ennis, Bryson Rogers. there were a lot of good receivers there. Where did he stack up and what were your thoughts on Carnell Tate? Yeah, I mean, he didn't make my dream team, right? So he wasn't in, in the top four if I was assembling a roster to, to go out there and try to take down Cam Newton or the South Florida Express. Um, but, it, you know, I, I just think at times in these seven-on-seven seven settings, and I've seen him play so much of it, he just kind of disappears. Uh, like, he, he's just not – he's not the guy. And is that maybe a product of him playing next to Brandon Ennis, who's like – like I said, I think one of the best seven-on-seven seven players ever? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think with Carnell, what, what I like about him is he's got the ability to play outside. He can play inside. I also think he's a super smooth route runner. And I think he's got really, really, really good ball skills, right? So, you know, kind of circling back to what I said about Bryson Rogers, I think you can almost apply that to Carnell Tate, only Tate's just a little bit better at everything, but maybe he's not great at, at one thing. Um, and, and, you know, so then you start going in your head, you're like, you know, is Carnell Tate really this, this, this blue chip guy? Is he what we think he is? And then I go back to the IMG Academy spring game. You know, where he's making an effort play, running 60 yards down the field, making the smallest of blocks, but at the same time, the biggest of blocks to spring his running back into the end zone. I go back to last season where he lays out for a ball um, that, yes, an elite wide receiver should make that play. But let me tell you, there's a ton of wide receivers that don't make that play. And it seems like when Carnell Tate does have to make the play, um, he does. He makes those really, really difficult plays look easy. So is, is that kind of like the it factor, the it factor in certain situations? That's what I think Carnell Tate has. Um, so he's, he's a smooth route runner. Um, and I just think he's got a high success rate of, of making those difficult plays. And, and oftentimes he makes them look really easy. You said something um, a while back when we were talking about Carnell Tate. We we're kind of having this discussion and, and what my grade was on him. I kind of saw him more as a a back end of, of 25 to 40 range, I think, type of player, um, and 40 being as low as he could possibly go. But you said you really like his fit at Ohio State. You like the long-term projection in terms of the comfort that you have with the player if you were to go to a place like Ohio State. And I start to think about that really more. You think about how these players have really benefited off of each other in years past. I mean, going back to Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith, uh, Najigba, and, and some of the guys that – Chris Olave, uh, it takes so much pressure off of them and they're able to thrive in their roles uh, in Columbus. I think that would be a similar situation. You talk about Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate, how complementary their skill sets are to one, each, uh, to one another. They're able to play off each other in, in a place like Columbus or Ohio State. I think that pays dividends for those guys down the road. So it's going to be interesting. He's got a decision uh, coming up here pretty soon. Drew, any recent intel on which way Carnell Tate might be leaning? Oh, I just I just talked to Ryan Callahan, our Tennessee publisher, about Carnell Tate. So I was all I was all loaded up and ready to go. I had my my Carnell Tate thoughts uh, uh, in in the chamber. It, it you know there's some smoke and some talk that he could potentially make a decision uh, this week or, or or next week. You know I think there's three teams in there: Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Tennessee. Uh, Ryan seemed to be pretty 
feeling good about the volunteers chances of, of landing Carnell Tate, but he, he did tell me that he thought Ohio state, there was some Ohio state buzz and, you know, I didn't grab Carnell Tate when we were out in, in Las Vegas. That was kind of Steve Wiltfong's role this weekend. So he spoke to him. But, you know, from what I've heard, and this is not just like, you know, fresh intel, but the most consistent intel, I think, over the past two or three months is that Ohio State is going to be pretty hard to beat uh, for Carnell Tate and, and Brandon Ennis. And I know there's going to be people watching the show that are going, why, why does your crystal ball say that now? And uh, you know, that, that's a good question because my, my crystal ball for Brandon Ennis is on USC. But, you know, I, I think if you're a receiver and maybe this is almost getting to like where we are with defensive backs in Alabama, it's like, how do you how do you pass up on on Ohio State, given what they did in the NFL draft and given the amount of of, of targets you're going to get um, for the Buckeyes? Well, you're talking about Ryan Day, who came out recently and said, hey, I need $13 million a year to keep my roster intact. So <laughs> on top of that, you got C.J. Stroud getting a new car every 30 days, right? 45, so, 45 days. Every 45 days. I apologize. Um, <laughs> so every month and a half. But if, if you think but you about get, that. You got to get the car detailed three times, not two times. Right. But if you think about that on a serious note, like, okay, if I'm going to go to a program that's going to take care of me, not only financially uh, at the collegiate level, but I know I'm going to go there and get developed uh, and have the best opportunity to have success at the next level. That's hard. That's hard to beat. Like you said it, like some places, if you're a receiver, it's difficult to say, turn down a place like Ohio state. If you're a defensive back, it's difficult to turn down a place like Alabama or Georgia. So uh, certainly get that. I think Carnell Tate to Ohio state makes a lot of sense. There we'll be watching that one closely, but speaking of the dogs, Drew, we love talking about the dogs on here. You made a great point. Uh, you, you sent me your notes for the show last night, and I read this, and I said, wow, this is kind of interesting because I don't think there's a bigger fan of tight ends coach Todd Hartley than Andrew Ivins. <laughs> he, he loves the tight end evaluations. He loves the guys that they're bringing in. Now, if you're Georgia, let's just preface what we're about to say with this is a very good problem to have, and this is national champion type problems uh, that they have on their hand. But they have four players from the state of Georgia that are, we would call blue chip type players. I think that's fair to say in that category, right? At least have that type of upside. Two of them are committed at the tight end position. You have Pierce Sperlin, who ranks as the number two tight end, according to 24-7 Sports. And then you have Lawson Lucky, who ranks as number 11. But on the flip side of that, you got Ethan Davis from Collins Hill, who Drew has now gotten to see a couple times. Uh, and then you also have Jelani Thurman, who ranks number three. Um, and I, Drew, I, I kind of dived into this, and I was trying to wrap my head around why would Georgia maybe lean? And maybe they took these guys early, and maybe it's been a late emergence from the other two. The only thing I can really figure out, and, and Sperlin and Lucky are really natural pass catchers, um, but I think they have a little bit more in-line ability, maybe upside at the next level than Ethan Davis and Jelani Thurman. Outside of that, I mean, you could call it a wash, but I can also get behind a conversation where I can easily say, hey, I'll take Davis and Thurman instead of the other two. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a better tight end talent evaluator than Todd Hartley, given what he did with, with nobody Rob. said that. Yeah, I know. I just think it's interesting, <laughs> right? So let's, let's right. step back. Uh, Pierce Berlin, he's actually in the panhandle of Florida, Santa Rosa Beach, but he's originally from Georgia. So we'll, we'll classify him as a Georgia kid, right? So there's four elite tight ends 
in the peach state for this cycle. Georgia has taken Lawson Lucky, who's a Georgia legacy, and Pierce Sperlin. Sperlin's kind of your, your, your move wide tight end, 6'6", big lean guy, uh, who's caught a ton of passes on Friday nights. Lawson Lucky, more of an inline guy, but he's also super athletic, you know, more of your traditional tight end. So those are the two Georgia has taken. I think there's a chance they could add a third to the fold, which would just be insane, um, as they're also in it on, on Deuce Robinson trying to you know, get him in the fold as well. So that'd be three, like top two, four, seven tight ends. Has that ever been done before? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but conversely, right. I think Ethan Davis, who was out in Vegas committed to Tennessee. I think he's a baller. I think he's really, 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 really damn good. Um, he was a mismatch in that type of setting. And then, you know, I, I started sitting in my hotel room, kind of doing some more research on Ethan Davis. I, I, I look up, the guy scored 43 points in a playoff basketball game, right? 43 points, which to me is is very, very difficult to do. Um, so he's just an all-around good competitor. And, and then with Jelani Thurman, he was only there on Thursday night in, out in Vegas, but our colleague, Greg Biggins, he would not stop talking about Jelani Thurman. He's like, oh, Jelani Thurman this, Jelani Thurman that. I'm like, I, I know he's good. Uh, and the interesting thing with Jelani Thurman is both of his parents went to Georgia. So that's another Georgia legacy. I just want to know – you know, five, six years from now. And maybe the answer comes before that, two, three years. You know, did Georgia make the right call here going Sperlin and Lucky instead of Davis and um, and Thurman? It'll be, it, it, to me, it's going to be a fascinating thing to keep track of. I think all four of those guys are good. Um, but, you know, does Todd Hartley hit again on the evaluation? Does he have the right two committed? Or or maybe is it one is, was, the, was the right one? Uh, I, I don't know. Something I'm going to be tracking, something I'm filing away in the head. They definitely didn't make the wrong call. You know, right. I guess it just depends on how high the ceiling of the player. I'll, I'll take you back to a situation, quick story we had at Oregon, and I will never forget this. We we had three tight ends on our board that we liked. I, there was one tight end on the board that I loved, uh, and I think we all loved him. Um, but we had one of those guys that jumped in early. That guy was Terrence Ferguson from Colorado. who's a top 24-7 tight end. The other one was Maliki Matavau. And we felt good about him and we were going to land him. The guy that we ended up picking it up late with was Brock Bowers. And I told Coach Cristobal at the time that I said, hey, I, listen, it, this is my opinion. Easy for me to say, right? I'm not the guy that's got to make the decisions at the end of the day. But it was worth having the conversation of maybe just taking one tight end, taking one elite player, and if and if the compromise is, hey, we have to part ways with two good players, it is what it is. Um, that being said, I don't think Brock Bowers could have gone to a better situation than he went to at Georgia in terms of them being able to utilize his skill set. They move him around. He's an excellent pass catcher. He's elite in the run game as well as a run blocker. Um, that's just one of those dynamics. And now maybe Georgia is in a situation where they landed these two guys early. I don't think they're going to move on from Sperling or Lucky. Uh, I have a hard time believing that. But maybe they're looking back on it and say, okay, Ethan Davis, Jelani Thurman. Now it's kind of like, do we need to start having conversations about these guys? And now Ethan Davis, you know, he's tied in to, to Tennessee with one of the best quarterbacks in the country committed there as well. That's going to be a hard one to move him off. Let me, let me, let me piggyback one more story right here, kind of relating to this. And, and I, I don't think we're not suggesting Georgia move off Sperlin or, or lucky. I think those are their guys. If they make any move at tight end, it'll be adding Deuce Robinson. Who's another blue chipper to the fold. 
Um, you, that's an interesting story with Brock Bowers. I'd be pounding the table for Brock Bowers if I was if I was he. He was also he also was in Napa, so I always thought that'd be like a really cool recruiting trip. Like you, you go on that in-home visit, you're in Napa Valley, get get some wine. But I remember when Todd Hartley was at Georgia, uh, three tight ends. He, he he was trying to get two. He was in on three tight ends: Brevin Jordan, who's now in the NFL, um, Will Mallory, who will play as a senior. Uh, all ACC type talent at, at Miami could get drafted. And the third one was Jalen Weidermeyer, who was at Texas A&M. Um, and it was just interesting to see. I mean, all three of those guys are elite. So maybe this is the same situation where all four of these guys will be good college players. Good situation to have if you're Todd Hartley. That guy deserves a raise, man. He's been killing it for what it's worth. So put us in the Todd Hartley fan club over here. Now, Drew, I want to move on to Cormani McLean, one of one of our favorite players in the entire class, the number one ranked defender in the top 24-7. A little bit of a mixed bag in Las Vegas this weekend. I'm talking to you a little bit earlier. What did you think about Cormani McLean, and are you worried about him in terms of his projection in the next level? I mean, let's let's address the elephant in the room, really. He didn't have the best of, of, of weekends, and I was talking to him afterwards, told me he kind of tweaked something. I think it was in his groin or, or maybe it was his calf and he kind of played through some stuff, but no, I mean, there, there was definitely some struggles, you know, a, another sports writer that was out there came up to me and was like, how far are you guys going to move Cromani down in the rankings? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, he's not good. I'm like, this is just one like small setting um, where Cromani is, you can't run the ball in seven on seven, right? So they're just throwing it at all times. Uh, you're going up against the nation's best receivers with some of the nation's best quarterbacks out, out there. Like, I don't think the the average person understands like how hard it is to play cornerback, like how hard it is to be a shutdown quarterback. Think of whatever your favorite corner is in the NFL. Like, and I'll find you a clip of that guy getting beat. It happens. Um, you know, you, you would like it not to happen all the time. Um, but sometimes guys, you're going to get beat. It's a position where there's, there's not a lot of glory, um, and, and, and if you're the first guy, I mean, if you're beat, you're, you're going to know about it. So, you know, I'm not worried, going to panic about Cormani. He did have some pass breakups. He actually had the game ceiling interception or, or tournament ceiling interception for the South Florida Express. It was kind of a, a, a wounded duck that he picked, picked off. But, I, you know, I, I, it brought a smile to his face for the first time all week. And I think he knew he was struggling. Um, so I'm not worried. Look, on Friday nights, when it matters, under the lights, this guy's picked off 19 passes over the past two years, 19 passes. Uh, and I still think he's trying to, you know, figure out how to play cornerback. People also forget he's a converted wide receiver. So I'm not worried about Cormani McLean. Um, you know, just my, my reminder to everyone out there, it's not easy being a cornerback. Um, you, you're going to give up some, some passes. Yeah, two of the hardest positions in all of football outside of the quarterback position, left tackle and cornerback. You know, you got to be able to have a quick memory. Those guys, so much individual responsibility put on those guys' shoulders. So uh, you have to be mentally tough as well. Cormani McLean, good review there from Andrew Ivins. Hadn't heard a lot about him in terms of in live exposure. So that was good. And I'm glad that you got to see him. Now, Drew, moving on to the teams that had buzz down in Las Vegas. And, you know, it's funny. You sent me the two teams that you were thinking of. And I said, oh, that's ironic. I wonder if they have something in common, Drew. Who were the two teams that were uh, making some noise down there in Las Vegas? Uh, Tennessee and Louisville. What do they have in common there, Cooper? I Shoot, Coach. I don't know. I just hear they're doing some very attractive things on the recruiting trail. Um, 
Yes, but please go ahead and uh, explain that a little bit more about what you're hearing about those two guys. Hold on, I'm firing off this this text. Um, uh, you know, I just it, that was a theme that in the in the past when you would go to the opening finals, right? It was kind of like, all right, what teams have the juice on the recruiting trail? Like, what teams are a lot of kids mentioning? And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I didn't interview everyone. I didn't interview a ton of kids. Again, that was more of Steve Wilfong's role. I just kind of stood up on a perch and, and try to watch and take photos and, and do video and all that stuff. But if there was like two teams that, you know, were really out, it was Tennessee, right? Nico Ayamalieva, um, Ethan Davis. There were some other, you know, high-profile kids talking about Tennessee. And then Louisville, uh, Pierce Clarkson, uh, the, the quarterback commit. There was a lot of kids talking about Louisville. Louisville is super popular in, in, in the state of California right now. And you know what? What do they have in common? Both these, both these two programs are, are are on the cutting edge of of NIL deals. So I just thought that was that was super interesting that those two were out there. Um, and you always want to see like what hats are the kids wearing? You know, and I don't read like too much stock into that in terms of hey, these were the that that's where the kids going because he's got a a Louisville hat. But those are those are the tr the trendy, sexy teams I think right now. Um, for some of these schools, and they're traditionally not. So I did think that was pretty notable. Who would have thought Louisville just popping off in California, just one of the hottest schools <laughs> out there? I mean, that's ridiculous. But hey, you know what? Shout out to those guys. Yeah, listen, if you if if you uh, we, uh, we did we did I think we did a video or maybe I was on a podcast with 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 Wilt Fong, and he's like, yeah, you know, they got the Bourbon Trail, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, come on, man, <laughs> we know what it is. <laughs> We know what it is. You know, it's funny, though. I'm, I wrote the Cooch Corner article yesterday, and you look at the teams within the top five that are like, you know, originally I'd written in there like, hey, there's some irregularities, right? And by irregularities, I mean, like, what the hell are they doing there type of irregularities within the top 10? And Louisville is one of those irregularities. You're sitting at number 10 right now. Cincinnati's at, or excuse me, Texas Tech's at number two. Cincinnati's at number four. Northwestern, I believe, is at, at number five. So, I mean, you have these programs that haven't been there, and all these programs are on record pace. Louisville's highest class under Satterfield, I think, is 34. Right now, they're sitting at number 10. They are number five in average rating per commit. They're in a really good spot, and I think they only have 10 commitments right now. Uh, and I could be wrong on that; it might be less, but that's really good in terms of long. Uh, excuse me, in terms of long-term projection, where they might end up this year. So I think they got a really good chance, and. and you talk about some of these guys are in it with. I heard they're sniffing around Robbie Washington a little bit. They can land some of these guys. They might end up, you know, top fifteen, top twenty. Andy Jean, Ruben Owens, the number nation's number one ranked running back. Uh, here's my pushback on this, right? I don't think it's all like nil. I, I think a lot of people forget Lamar Jackson went to Louisville. Lamar Jackson, you know, was kind of a, a a star when most of these kids were, what, 12, 13, 14. That's a very impressionable age. You want a Heisman Trophy. So I don't think it's completely ludicrous that some of these kids, you know, like Louisville, they've seen them play in high-profile games before. They've seen Lamar Jackson, Tutu Atwell's another. Um, and they are getting super active down here uh, in South Florida. And traditionally, they've recruited South Florida well, so it shouldn't be uh, much of a surprise. I'm going to say it's a surprise, and I'm going to say it's got a lot more to do with money than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's been in the league for quite some time. He's been on video games a couple what, what years I'm ago. Saying, what I'm saying is most of these kids at their most impressionable age can relate Lamar Jackson to Dude, Louisville. Dude, these guys are not going to Louisville because of Lamar Jackson, especially guys out in California are walking around with Louisville hats on. You know the deal. Tennessee's the other team. Come on, man. Money, money is money, and money is good. 
All right. So now, true, we're going to pivot to the teams that don't have juice. And I think there's only one of them. You're my South Florida guy. I'm going to let you take it away from here. and I'm going to keep my hands clean. So go ahead. This, this is one that came to mind, right? I don't want to say like this is the only school that no one talked about or anything like that. But traditionally at these big recruiting events in the past, you know, there was a lot of Florida State buzz. Florida State was in it for a, a ton of guys. And I can't really recall one rising senior or soon-to-be senior out in Las Vegas that was talking up Florida State. I just thought that was was super interesting. And this isn't to knock on, you know, keep pouring it on Florida State. You know, we've made it very clear that we think they need to win here uh, if Mike Norvell is going to stay on. But, you know, it was just the, the polar opposite of what it was years ago under Jimbo Fisher. And I know Florida State fans are, are going to be pissed off that I'm, I'm saying this, and it, it's obvious that the recruiting slacking right now given that five and seven season. But, you know, to me, if Florida State's going to get back to where they want to be, and, I, I, you know, there's a video that's loaded up in our system of Josh Pate saying Florida State's a, a year away from winning an ACC title or maybe it still needs another year. You know, I, I think this is kind of a not a major red flag, but man, they, they got to find a way to get some momentum going. And, you know, right now they're just not in it with the big, big national prospects. No one's really talking about Florida State. So that was my takeaway. And I'm not saying Miami and Florida, you know, everyone was talking about them. Well, that's just something that I did notice. You know, there wasn't a bunch of blue chippers out there going, hey, you know, I'm going to visit Florida State or anything like that. And let's not forget a year ago. If, if this event had happened, the number one player in the country, Travis Hunter, would have been committed to Florida State. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah, they're like a sailboat right now with no wind. It, like when, it, when I think about Florida State, that's what I think about. <laughs> what what is it now? I mean, I'm just saying there is nothing going for them. They like, like that is a team that they need fall to come sooner rather than later because they, they need, need to, to win some games. They need to beat LSU. And if they can beat LSU then you can get the momentum going. I know we're hard on Florida State, but Florida State is one of the most prestigious programs in the country. They're supposed to be at the top. Yeah. And there's no doubt that they have underperformed. They need to get back there. And I think Mike Norvell knows that. There's no shame in saying that. But they gotta get, they got to be better on the recruiting trail than what they've been. To me, they're underperforming there. So we'll keep an eye on Florida State. And it's not for lack of trying, but trying, you know, at I, the end of the day, it, it, it doesn't, just, doesn't mean you maintain I, I, job I security. Positive Florida State news right here. Ruben Bain, top 247 defensive lineman. He's visiting uh, Florida State later this week. So Florida State fans don't have to hate me because there's, there's a good little nugget. There you go. Way to, way to spin it, the spin doctor over here. Now, Drew, let's go, uh, let's go to, to Georgia. They flip a Penn State commit offensive lineman, Joshua Miller, from the state of Virginia. They also get a crystal ball from Lakeland receiver Tyler Williams, who I watched this morning and uh, – Tell you what, I've seen him before, refreshing on him this morning. I can see why they like him. Looks like a very good player. They also had Joe, excuse me, Joe Noel, Aguero on campus, Jamal Garrett, Troy Bowles, Grayson Howard, Kelton Smith, all top 24-7 standouts, all blue chip type players. What can you tell me from George's weekend? And what do you like about Tyler Williams? And then what are your thoughts on Joshua Miller? Loaded well, question. I, I, I mean, I put them on the on the show rundown because I think it was an impressive group of of visitors, right? I, I think those are impact difference makers at, at certain positions. Jamal Garrett's a guy we, the rankings council, have gone back and forth about at length. Um, you know, so I think he's an interesting kind of piece to the puzzle that Georgia had on campus. I think me and you both love Jonel uh, Aguero, uh, the, the safety out of Massachusetts that spent some time at IMG Academy. I think he's actually perfect for 
uh, Georgia's defense and what they want to do in terms of interchangeable parts on the, on the back seven. Um, you know, you can kind of move them around. And, and the same thing goes for Alabama. I mean, obviously they play the, you know, similar defensive schemes, but to me, he's tailor-made for one of those schools. Uh, so I thought it was interesting. He was there. Troy Bowles, you know, I talked to him last night, uh, his son of Todd Bowles, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach. Todd actually went on the official visit, which I thought was, you know, if you're Kirby smart, that's gotta be pretty cool. You know, uh, uh, NFL head coach, you're you're also entertaining over the weekend. I, you know, I'm starting to think Georgia might be the team to beat for him, and, and I think Oklahoma is, is the biggest challenger. He really likes um, what 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 Brent, Brent Venables is doing there. I think they got something called the Soul Mission, what sounds like uh, the Tiger's Paw program. But you know, I, I just thought it was an interesting group of visitors. Tyler Williams, you know, I, Steve Wiltfong put in that crystal ball. Um, I reached out to some of my contacts there in Polk County. Uh, and they agreed Georgia is probably the team to beat right now. Now, Tyler Williams is actually at South Carolina right now for a midweek official visit. He's going to announce a decision, it sounds like, in late September, uh, and Ole Miss might actually get the, the, the last visit. So that's really been an interesting recruitment um, because none of Florida's big three are in on it. So I, I do agree he would fit uh, what Georgia wants to do. Super raw prospect um, when it comes to just trying to scout him. I mean, he's a former – uh, quarterback turned wide receiver that could also play basketball in college, uh, FGCU, shout out Dunk City. Um, they offered him uh, to play basketball at some point. So he's 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 a really, really good athlete, um, got a natural bounce to his step. This offensive line commit, I don't know much about him, Joshua Miller. They flip him from Penn State. Um, I, I, I think my my big takeaway there or, you know, what I, what I want to know about Georgia is how this offensive line class comes together because Sam Pittman – had things cranking in that O-line room there in Georgia. Matt Luke carried the torch. And now you've got Stacey Searles who comes over from North Carolina. I covered Stacey Searles when he was at Miami. And one of the biggest issues with Miami was offensive line recruiting. So I just, you know, I want to see how this class comes together because I do think if there's one kind of question mark about the future of Georgia's program, I think it starts with the offensive line just because I, I don't know what kind of guy Stacey Searles is going to get. I agree. I, I agree on that. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think Sam Pittman was recruiting offensive line in Georgia at an elite level. I think Matt Luke, like you said, carried the torch, wasn't at the same level, but was at a good level. I think here you kind of got to be aware of a little bit of a drop and you look at Joshua Miller and there's a lot to like. He's a big body. You kind of got to melt down a little bit, but he's a right tackle right now that he has a ways to go in terms of pass protection. I'm not sure that's really what Georgia is worried about. They're, they're more north-south power football team in terms of what type of scheme they want to run. So I do think he fits there. He's going to be a really good guard. Um, and there are a lot of redeeming qualities there. We got him at an 87, and he's a good player. Uh, but that is going to be interesting to watch in terms of Georgia's like just, offensive line. How does, this, how does this group come together? Because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good year. You know, Kelton Smith, you mentioned him. You know, Bo Hughley. Um, they're off, also after uh, Shermod or Sham. What do we call him? Sham, the Russian guy. Yeah, Sham Umarov. Yeah. So I just I just want to know how this class comes together because, in theory, I mean Georgia should be able to get the best of the best up front on the offensive line. Yeah, and that's the mentality they got to keep, and that's the role of the head coach. And it seems to me that Kirby Smart is really good about letting his coaches do their job. But there's also a time where a head coach needs to interject and say, "Listen, this is the board." This is what we're capable of getting, and these are the guys that you're going to recruit, and I can't hold your hand doing it. So uh, that is going to be interesting to watch. Last thing I'll, I will say on Georgia, 
Tyler Williams, I mean, we got him on top 24-7 watch, at least in my opinion. I meant to tell you that before the show, but that is a guy I, that I think. Dude, I've been pounding the table for him for the whole time. Uh, well, you must have left my my, my number out of the group text because I don't remember that one. But I, I I love that kid. You're probably right, Drew. I'm just throwing you some shade. But anyway, great weekend for, for Georgia. I want to move on. They will not be outdone by, by, by Alabama. Alabama this weekend, Arch Manning, Caden Proctor, Number one quarterback, number one offensive tackle, Richard Young, number three running back, Anthony Hill, number one linebacker, all on campus. And there they are in jumpsuits, taking pictures in front of all of the draft picks and the uniforms of the guys that have been drafted in the first round from Alabama. Drew, give me your initial thoughts on Alabama's official visit weekend. How sick was that photo? Like, I mean, I know we're like 30 year old, like not athletes, <laughs> but I thought it, I thought it was cool that they got the uniforms of all the first round draft picks and, and created it. I mean, it was unique, right? I think everyone's trying to think of something different to do. Bama goes out. All right. Who's going to replicate this. These are all the guys that Saban's had selected in the first round of the NFL draft. This is the backdrop for the photo shoot. I, I thought that was awesome. Um, you know, it was just it was another big weekend for Bama. I think they're in a really, really good spot with Richard Young, the running back. Um, and, and his social media was was a fun follow over the weekend. They were like four wheeling uh, at Nick Saban's house. Um, you know, this is just the status quo for, for Bama when it comes to visitors. And I, you know, Arch Manning was there as well. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts on uh, on the weekend. It's just crazy. We live in a world where we think, you know, Jimbo and Saban had this spat and you think, you know, Alabama's bleeding chips and it's like, that's, that's not at all what's happening. Um, you know, and, and they just bring you back. I mean, I think we, we take for granted just the level of success that they've had. And, and people say, well, it's a well-oiled machine and it recruits itself. Like it doesn't, you, you still have to stay ahead of the times. You still have to be innovative and you still have to find ways to elevate your program year in and year out. And that's what I love so much about Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide program is their ability to evolve. And people just think it's this stoic, methodical. And yeah, in terms of the results, it is. But in terms of what they're doing, they change their process, they tweak it, they find a way uh, to be really progressive in that in that area. And Georgia, Alabama alike, they're so similar in the way that they operate. But, you know, just, just when you think, okay, maybe they're losing a little bit of gas, they're quick to remind you they're still around, they're still the big dog on campus, even with Georgia around. So listen, Arch Manning, and, and I keep thinking, like keep talking about Texas and Georgia as we should in his recruitment. So stupid of us to rule these guys out at Alabama, especially when they're saying, hey, we'll take two quarterbacks, uh, you know, even with Eli Holstein in the boat. So um, listen, at the end of the day, we've talked about Arch plenty and We've always said it's going to come down to who's going to put him in the best situation to be successful. You talk about that picture, and it's hard to argue. I mean, <laughs> you got Bryce Young, who's a Heisman winner. The guy before him was was Mac Jones, starting quarterback for the New England Patriots, first round pick. The guy before him is Tua Tagovailoa. So I don't know. I mean, who's got a better track record than that? You know, and then you know Texas is Texas. We talk plenty about them, and you know at, at Georgia. If there is one Achilles heel there, it's been the quarterback position, even with the development of Stetson Bennett, right? So um, we'll see, man. I just think it's it would be naive of us to rule out Alabama this early in the picture for Arch Manning. That's kind of my take on that. I agree. I agree. Yeah.
So, all right, Drew, moving on to the team that we love to hate, but we actually love. Well, I love to hate and what I actually love. And, and let's give these guys credit. You brought it up. 31 official visitors just a few short weeks ago for Clemson, Dabo Sweeney. And he is wave, waving high to the haters right now. Clemson has been on a absolute roll. Six commitments. Marcus Dixon is another guy that's set to announce. I believe today Vic Burley is set to announce. On Wednesday, it looked like they're in good standing for both of those guys. What do you like about what Clemson's been able to get done on the recruiting trail in the last couple of weeks? Well, they're closing, right? I mean, that was kind of the big question. You bring in 31 guys for what we're essentially calling the biggest recruiting weekend ever, uh, if you want to go by like star power or, or whatnot. And, I, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't think I really brought this up or, or wrote it, but in the back of my head the whole time, I, I was thinking this is a going to be a risky gamble. And, and what do I mean by that? And, and our editor, Trey Scott, told me to kind of maybe like downplay that a little bit in, in terms of being harsh. But, you know, Clemson is going to have to hold on to these guys now. So, that, you know, I think that's something you're going to have to track over the next, what, six, seven, eight months. You remember last year, right before the early signing period, they lost three elite blue chippers, Jahad Campbell, um, Dalen Everett. Um, I'm forgetting the other guy, John Blank off the top of my head. Um, oh, uh, uh, safety, Keon Sab. So, you know, I, I, I just think it's impressive that, you know, Clemson, they're, they're sticking to it. They, they brought the guys in. Um, and they're getting them to commit. I mean, and most, I mean, anyone they bring in, they want. Uh, and so they're they're just closing at a, at a very very high rate. Uh, Vic Vic Burley, you know, he's going to announce. You got to plug the company line, CBS Sports HQ on Wednesday. I can check that out. But it sounds like Clemson's is is in a the driver's seat there. Uh, this morning, I, I woke up to a text. Caden McDonald, the top two four seven defense alignment at Georgia, he's taking an unofficial visit to Clemson this day. So in the same line of thinking you had about Alabama, you know, Nick Saban's kind of has everyone worried that he might be slipping a little bit based on his comments. You know, Clemson, we, I, we always use the analogy, seems like they're taking on water, but in reality, um, recruiting is probably as good as it's been in a while right now for, for the Tigers, just in terms of where they stand with so many elite prospects. And they get dudes on campus who are one of the toughest teams in the country to beat. I think they just have such a solid product there. You talk about the Paul program. You talk about what they're doing with the NIO. And I think Dabo's a big believer in terms of sharing the wealth amongst his roster uh, instead of on, on, the, on the front end. So uh, good to see Clemson and what they're doing and having Juno OBs. And listen, I think obviously you look at the success that they've had. I think it's going to be a staple for them going forward as well. But let's talk about another team in the state of South Carolina that we don't get to talk about a lot. The Gamecocks, they land three commitments from the state of Florida, including safety Cam Upshot, tight end Connor Cox, and wide receiver Kelton Henderson. I watched three of those guys this morning. I'll tell you what, I like the Kelton Henderson kid, man. He can play a uh, two-way player. really like him. He is a football player. But, Drew, what are you hearing about what South Carolina is doing? I got some thoughts on them as well. Grayson Howard's also in the mix there. What are you hearing about South Carolina on the recruiting trail? Well, last month I served up this take that uh, I thought South Carolina had a chance to have a ton of success in Duval County, so that Jacksonville area. And I got a lot of people that kind of reached out to me. They're like, what, what, what are you saying here? Like, what, where is this coming from? And, you know, only one of these kids is in that Duval County lines, but um, Cam Upshaw is from the Panhandle. Kelton Henderson's a little, is Southwest Florida. But, you know, Shane Beamer and his staff are investing a ton of resources in, into recruiting the state, and they're seeing the fruits of their labor right now. I mean, Cam Upshaw, to me, 
former high school quarterback. I know, Cooper, you saw him at uh, the Under Armour Miami camp. He's kind of a, I'm stealing a term from you, like a ball of clay. You can mold him into whatever you want. Uh, and for so, this is what South Carolina wants to do because you look back what they took in the class of 2022. They took five, six, seven uh, versatile back seven defenders, kind of safeties that maybe you can grow into a linebacker. You can utilize them in different roles. So I love that take for him. You know, that's also a guy that maybe I think Florida State should have put a little more of an emphasis on. And, you know, so they're stealing one right out of Florida State's backyard. Um, Connor Cox, he goes to the Bulls school, same high school. Uh, that produced uh, Mac Jones, you know, the, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. So they always got some guys. Um, he's kind of a, a, a H-back type of tight end. You know, he's listed at 6'5". I think he's probably closer to 6'3", but a, a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, the guy you can motion, have him lead block and everything. I like that take. And then you, you mentioned Kelton Henderson. What's interesting to me is some people – we're recruiting Kelton to be a defensive back. I always thought he was a wide receiver. That's where he worked out uh, at that same Under Armour camp I, I, I was just referencing with Cam Upshaw. Uh, and he's got some speed. I think he's 11.01 in the 100-meter dash, um, and, and he's going to play um, wide receiver for the Gamecocks. So, you know, last year, or it wasn't too long ago, Shane Beamer's transition class, I, I wrote how South Carolina – had the worst recruiting class ever in SEC history. I mean, it ranked in, I think, the, the 70s or 90s. But I like what they're doing on the trail here in the class of 2023. And I still think there's some big some big fish out there that they can pull out of Jacksonville. Grayson Howard, the linebacker that I love, my, my Red Star prospect, he's in play. Sharif Denson, uh, the cornerback from up there. So, you know, the Gamecocks, there's still some meat on the bone of what they can get done in the Sunshine State. Yeah, they had two top 24-7 edge rushers on campus as well, Desmond Umiazulu and Jabron Harvey. I love this Jabron Harvey kid, and I think that would be a great kid. You talked about Grayson Pup Howard, which is what he goes by. Um, but I, I love that kid, too. They, they they rally late. They get Stone Blanton at the end of the 2022 cycle. They're in it for Dylan Lonergan. To he was me, not- this, is, yeah, this is what we need to see from the Gamecocks year in and year out. Like, they, they surprised some people last year with what they did on the field. And I think Shane Beamer, his job this offseason was to carry that momentum onto the recruiting trail, elevate. And from a talent acquisition standpoint, they have to continue to elevate and kind of push that envelope every year. You see that with guys like Blanton. You mentioned Pup Howard as well. Uh, a couple of the other guys that they got, Kelton Henderson, a name. Those are the type of guys you can build with and then you build up from there. So, Really foundational players. I like the job that Shane Beamer's doing. They got to continue to operate with some urgency on the trail, but uh, give it up for the Gamecocks. Drew, a guy that you did not mention in your notes, I was so surprised that maybe you just got lost in the shuffle. But I want to give a, a tip of the cap to our boys, the uh, Michigan State Chief of Propaganda on Twitter. My guy stays after me on there. He was talking to me. He said, Hey, I asked this question. Last week, I said, hey, what are the teams that we don't talk about? And Michigan State was overwhelmingly the one that said, hey, we don't, you guys don't talk about us on this show. Sure enough, one of Andrew's favorite players <laughs> in the top 24-7, Jordan Hall from IMG Academy. We like to talk about him a lot. We talked about him and his interest with Florida. He ends up saying, hey, I'm going to go pledge and go play for Mel Tucker and the Michigan State Spartans. I like what they're doing up there. Drew, what do you think about this fit, Jordan Hall and Michigan State? So I think, you know, what what do I learn about this this Jordan Hall commitment? Um, is that Mel Tucker and those guys can close. 
because when I was at IMG Academy for their pro day, uh, what was that back in February? You know, I kind of thought Michigan State was going to be the landing spot for Jordan Hall. I was like, this this is where he's going to end up. Um, and for some reason, I kind of pumped the brakes. I'm, I'm putting on a crystal ball pick. Uh, and then Florida got involved in the recruitment, right? So Florida offered. He took a couple visits up there. And the next time I saw Jordan Hall in person was at an Under Armour camp uh, in Orlando. And, and then I got a Florida vibe from him. I was like, all right, maybe maybe this guy's going to end up at Florida. You know, Billy Napier, in-state program. They could absolutely use a vocal leader, a locker room guy like Jordan Hall. So he goes up there, you know, to East Lansing this past weekend, and he commits to the Spartans. And I think that's that's a testament to Mel Tucker's closing power. Um, and and he shouldn't be able to close with that contract that he's got. But no, that's that's an impressive win and, and, and a notch in the belt, I think, for the Spartans. And I think that's a guy that is going to thrive um, in, in the Big Ten. He can play in the box, but he can also cover. I mean, he can stick with different tight ends, whatever whatever size tight end you got out there. So that's, that's a nice big pickup, and I, I would anticipate him um, having plenty of success in that Spartan green. I love that fit. Some guys are, are just meant to play in the Big Ten. Jordan Hall is one of those guys. I don't think he's as much as a speed and space eraser as we've seen some of the other guys in the class, Raylan Wilson being one of them. I think this guy is meant to play downhill. He's physical at the point of attack. We've talked about his instincts. We've talked about the preparation, the type of leader he is. I mean, to get that guy in the middle of your defense, that is a huge deal for Michigan State and the Spartans. So love the addition of Jordan Hall to Michigan State. That one just makes a lot of sense. A couple other guys they had on campus, top 24-7 offensive tackle, one of the best offensive tackles in the country, Samson Okinola. And this is a guy who's going to continue to move up our board. I like Michigan State, where they where they are right now with that kid. They're making some inroads there. Eno Etta, a guy we don't talk about a lot, but a defensive end from the state of Texas. Uh, this guy is incredibly productive. Love his upside. Love what I've seen from him this offseason. Uh, and this is certainly a guy with the arrow pointing up. This would be a big win. He's going to go to official visit to Michigan, I believe, this weekend as well. So he's uh, floating around there in Big Ten country. But Michigan State, man, like when I'm talking about programs being able to build that momentum from what they did on the field last year, this is another one of them as well. Yeah, and they had two, I mean, really three safeties that I like uh, on campus. I'll, I'll just highlight two of them here. King Mack, you know, guy, he moved into the top 247. My crystal ball is on, on Penn State for him, um, but I was trading some texts with him. I think it was yesterday. I don't know. All my days are mixed up. And he admitted that uh, Michigan State's given him some stuff to think about. So that's a two-team battle for, for the kid out of St. Thomas Aquinas right down the road for me. We'll see what happens. I, I, I think Penn State had a significant lead heading into that visit. I think Michigan State has closed that gap. Now, if you're Michigan State, you're hoping that, you know, King goes up to, to, to Happy Valley this weekend, weekend and, you know, he hates the food or whatnot, and you can pick up that commitment. The other guy, Jaden Bonsu. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. He, he's a safety out of out of New Jersey. Uh, the college feedback on him is, is really good. I've heard some college coaches think that he's like a top five safety in the country. And right now the composite has him at, at, at 24. So it was a, a pretty impressive group of visitors for the Spartans. Um, and, and I think they're getting it rolling again here this upcoming weekend. They're going to get Elliott Washington, the Alabama commit on campus from what I've heard. Um, and this is coming from a ton of different angles you know, Elliot Washington, I do not anticipate him signing with Alabama. And I think Penn State or excuse me, Michigan State is probably the team to watch there uh, if he does open things back up. So it, it's going to be another big weekend um, up there at Michigan State. 
Caleb Presley, also from the state of Washington, a cornerback and a guy, a very versatile defender, secondary defender as well. He was also on campus. I look at Michigan State long term. I think they got more juice. I think Mel Tucker's got more juice on the recruiting trail than Michigan does. Um, and I just I, I just like the way that he's building that program and he's tenacious. He's got some dog to him, man. You know, like there's there's some shit to Mel Tucker. Um, and you look at the guys that they're recruiting on the trail. These aren't guys that are typically Michigan State's having on campus. And he's resonating with these guys. I like Michigan State. I'm buying stock in them. I know we haven't opened the stock market yet. But give me Michigan State. I like them long term. They're coming, man. Like in case you, did, you already didn't know. Here's what's notable about them too. I mean, they had that 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 uh, big season because of all the transfer acquisitions because he needed to flip the roster. Now we're seeing him actually recruit high schoolers, and it's impressive. Yeah, that's a great point there. They, uh, I think they kind of paved the way on the transfer portal as well. They did a really good job. You talked about the quick flip going to double digit wins last season. Very impressive. Now, Drew, what what is our show episode eleven? By the way, shout out to us. Double digits now, baby. Still a show without a name. We're just going for the Oyster Boys into the uh, foreseeable future. But what's the Oyster Boys without a little Notre Dame talk? I love talking some Notre Dame. Now, we're going to start in Georgia because the rest of the guys are kind of a national footprint. But we'll start with, with Caleb Downs. He makes his trip up there. You mentioned uh, in, in one of the last episodes that Ohio State's done a lot of good work with him. Alabama, Georgia, you talked about the fit there. But reading up, our, our friend Tom Loy, who has guest hosted this show along with you, uh, he was talking that Notre Dame made quite the impression on Caleb Downs. How are you feeling on him? And are you still kind of feeling that that Ohio State flavor with with Caleb Downs? Well, I, I think you got me your my your college football contender, playoff contender regular mixed up. I, I think Alabama is is going to be the one to always watch with Caleb Downs. But you know, I used to cover Notre Dame years ago in a land far, far away. And uh, once you cover Notre Dame for a few cycles, and I did two of them, you can quickly identify, is this kid going to be a fit at Notre Dame or is he not going to be a fit? Caleb Downs is absolutely 110% a fit at Notre Dame. Um, so I'm not surprised that he enjoyed that visit. I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I think a lot of times when kids go on these visits, and I'm not saying this is the case here, um, but, you know, you get that post-visit high. Where, where, where you feel really good. I, you know, I, I think sometimes we got to take a step back and see what happens two, three weeks, two or three weeks later uh, to really judge how good of a visit was. I mean, I can see Caleb Downs ending up at uh, at Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame just just churned out a really good safety that also happened to be um, from the state of Georgia. So, you know, I, I can see that. There was another defensive back that, that visited for them that, uh, you know, I, I like as well, Christian Gray. Uh, I've seen him play a bunch of seven on seven. Uh, I, I think he'd be a really good fit at, at Notre Dame there as well. But man, Marcus Freeman, number one cl recruiting class in the country right now. Um, and they're just dialing up big weekend after big weekend when it comes to visits. 15 commits, 12 of them are in the top 24 seven. I think they're only recruiting from the top 24 seven is what it feels like. Uh, but I mean, you mentioned it, Monroe Freeling, another guy uh, from the state of, I believe, uh, South Carolina. Um, or North Carolina, excuse me. Originally I'm sorry from Oregon. I got that right. Originally from Oregon. Yeah, okay. see, from from the only city where there's still a blockbuster. Okay. Wow. How about that? I think okay. it's shout out shout out to Monroe Freeman there in, in Bend, blockbuster Oregon, stop. Bend, Oregon. Yeah. No I think. way. 
I love yeah. Bend, Oregon. Great spot out there. Um, anyway, so, Monroe Freeling on campus, top 24-7 offensive lineman. Christian Gray, like Drew mentioned. Rico Flores, who Tom Loy put in a crystal ball for another top 24-7 receiver. And then Jason Moore, who the Irish continue to work over uh, defensive line coach Al Washington, working hard on that one. But Marcus Freeman, I'll tell you what, man, like I think Notre Dame ends up, I don't think this is really a bold prediction, but looking at the guys that they have on the board, I think they end up in the top five. Now that quarterback piece is going to be a big part of that. We'll see if CJ Carr reclassifies, but I think Notre Dame is going to end up probably number four or number five in the country. At the end of the day, we're, we're still awaiting big time moves from Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, uh, and USC. I, I expect to be involved as well. Ohio State kind of lingering around the top five as well already. But Drew, let's move on to uh, our favorite segments. Hilo Casino is back. And guess what? I did not tell you the two guys that I put on this list, but they're from Las Vegas. And I continue to want to put you in very difficult positions. But we're going to start because <laughs> I want your honest feedback here. Malachi Nelson, number two overall player in the country, number two quarterback in the country behind only Arch Manning. You saw four of the top five quarterbacks in the country this weekend. Are we too high on Malachi Nelson? I mean, I, I based on what I've said and what I've written, I think, you know, and I, again, it's, it's, it's one sample size, right? Um, but to me, I think you can make the case that maybe he's the number three quarterback. I, you know, maybe you have – Nico Ayamale Ava ahead of him. So, you know, I, I do, do, is there a ruling? To, what do we say? Yes in this situation? Like, how, how, what do we say? I think you're just trying to paint a picture of is there a conversation to be had? I think there is absolutely a conversation to be had. But uh, like I said, I, you know, we need to see some senior seasons from these quarterbacks before we start moving these guys around. You also got to remember this OT7 event, that was really an appetizer. Uh, for the Elite 11 finals. That's that's the main course. You know, we're going to, you know, I, I think we're going to know more about the, these top quarterbacks. And I don't think that's going to be the end all be all with evaluations, but that's another data point for us. And then the senior seasons. And I know, again, Malachi Nelson will be playing five minutes from where I'm sitting uh, against American Heritage. I, I think it's the last weekend of August. So I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to see him in pads under the lights going up against a talented secondary. So I do think that's a conversation we should have. Um, but I'm not ready to, you know, knock or ding someone right now. But, you know, my first live exposure to Malachi Nelson, I, I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Look at you referencing data points. Proud, proud, proud friend over here. I love that. Carnell Tate. OK, we talked a little bit about him earlier in the show. Listen, you saw some exceptional wide receiver play this weekend. We mentioned Brandon Ennis. We mentioned Jerry on Dickey, some of the guys that were there and showing out Noah Rogers being another one. Where does kind of Carnell Tate, do you think he's too high? Is this a guy that can maybe slip back just a little bit? Uh, and is that worth the conversation? I think there's a conversation that needs to be had just in general with our wide receiver rankings. And that's not – you know, me not trying to knock you or, or anyone else on the rankings council or or, or, or or whatnot. But I do think when I looked at the wide receiver rankings, I was standing out on the field. Uh, you know, I'm not going to throw out all these moves I said, but, you know, based on what I had seen, my eye test with, with certain wide receivers, I think there's some, some obvious moves when you look at our top 10 uh, of the wide receiver rankings, you know, you know, is Carnell Tate probably too high as the number one, one, number one wide receiver wide receiver, excuse me, I can't even talk right now. Yeah, I, I do think that's a conversation that we need to have. Um, some other guys that I think we need to talk about moving up. 
Jurion Dickey, Noah Rogers. To me, just eye test wise, what I saw, I think those guys need to, you know, need to climb a little bit in our rankings. And, I, and I'm cheating right now, referencing our, our our top group, but you know, those guys were playing alongside some, uh, you know, some guys that are ranked higher than them, and they absolutely, you know, outshined those other dudes. So I, I do think we, we need to have some conversations with our wide receiver rankings. Yeah. It seems like I got a little bit ahead of it before you guys went out to Las Vegas and I'm glad I did. The jury on Dickey kid is just an absolute freak. I had a, had a top 32 grade on him. So we'll see where he lands at the end of the day, but he is certainly uh, in line for, for a bump. Uh, and we, we love that kid. The in live exposure has been, it been great uh, from, from Huffman, from Biggins, from you. We've all, all seen him alive. Uh, Steve Wolfong has now seen him live. Same with Chris Singletary. So we're going to have a lot of feedback on Jury on Dickey. But that was High Low Casino. Drew, I want to move on the stock market. And I'm going to let you open the stock market today. But the only request I have, just a little bit more juice. And then we've got to use that. we got to use that hammer. So let me let me preface that a little bit. We have three stocks here, if you're not familiar with the stock market. We have the blue chip stock, which is about as solid as they come. That is Amazon. That is Coca-Cola. Uh, depending on the time of the year, that's that's Tesla. Uh, I got to look at the stocks. Tesla might be down a little bit. And then we have the potential blue chip <laughs> stocks. Those are the stocks that we like. They've shown promise, but they have a chance to elevate into that first range that we talked about. And then there's our favorite, the Cowboys stock. A little bit of high risk, high reward, a little bit of play there. But guys that were saying, okay, if everything goes right, if the market goes right, if this person gets in the in the right uh, structure and organization and gets uh, access to the right coaching, this one has a chance to blossom. So those are our three blue chip, potential blue chip and cowboy. Drew, take it away. All yours. All right. Well, now I was just reading a text message. So that was, that was just a, a bad intro. My blue chip stock, right? This is the guy I'm, I'm all in on it. Correct. Right. That's, that's correct. That's, all right, Charles Lester the second, or maybe it's the third. No, it's it's the second. Um, came into the overtime seven on seven event. This is a guy that we have ranked in our initial top one hundred for the class of twenty twenty four. One of the rare guys in my state I had never seen before. Um, watch one game of two four K, and I said, "Who the hell is this guy? Uh, this guy is awesome." That is Charles Lester. He's a cornerback at a Riverview High School, and what's really interesting in the twenty twenty four cycle is our top three cornerbacks. So that's gonna be Desmond Ricks. Um, Elias Robinson and Charles Lester, they all live within a 20 uh, minute radius of each other. Two of them are at IMG Academy, Charles Lester. He's over there at Riverview. I love this kid. You know, Alabama's already got him on campus four times. I mentioned Nick Saban and his defensive back evaluations. I think they usually know a thing or two about corners. To me, Charles Lester, um, you know, you dig into the tape. Two, guy that makes plays on both sides of the ball, caught 14 touchdowns over the past two seasons. Also a guy that gets it done on special teams. I think he's got two kick returns and a punt return, uh, but he is a, a big frame corner. I'm buying stock in him. I think he's going to end up you know, probably somewhere in the SEC. Um, stock up guy for me, which sounds weird to say about uh, with someone that's already in our 32 for the class of 2024. Love that. Okay. Potential blue chip stock. Okay. Let's take it. Same, same, same event. All right. This is overtime seven, uh, you know, great event. I will say the rosters were a little bit of a mess and I know that's not event organizers fault. So if Lily's watching the show, I'm sorry, this is not a shot at you. It's just hard at times to figure out who, you know, who the hell's who uh, when everyone's playing, but Brandon, Brandon Strozer, the Clemson cornerback commit 
out of Georgia. He, he committed a few weeks ago to the Tigers. I think this is a guy that we need to absolutely get a fourth star on. You know, right now we have him as an 88. I think he's someone that should probably be a 90. He's a big, long corner, uh, you know, narrow framed, but he can absolutely play. He was excellent in coverage, I thought, all weekend. Um, so he's a potential blue chip. We'll see how high he can go in the cornerback rankings. But Mike Reed and the Tigers, you know, he doesn't miss on many defensive backs. And I loved what I saw out of Brandon Strozier over the weekend at the OT7 event. All right, take us home, Cowboy Stock. Cowboy Stock. All right. I, I tweeted about this one, um, and we have talked about him in the past. Rutgers, they pick up a commitment on Sunday from Abraham Wright. It was at Fleming Island. It's outside of, of Jacksonville. I think this is a kid, if he had waited out his recruitment, um, he probably would have you know, have some SEC suitors. You know, he's 6'2", 225 pounds, went 4'6 on the lasers at a camp. It was a top 20 time at the camp, and that camp was loaded with skill players. I don't think there's a lot of big frame guys like him with growth potential that have the juice to come downhill like he does. We list him as a linebacker, maybe probably more of an edge rusher prospect. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of him. I love that fit at Rutgers. I think, you know, that the Scarlet Knights, which is where my dad went to school, I've been very active in the Sunshine State um, the past few weeks, I think they got four or five, maybe six commits. There's another one that might be coming today. Uh, and Abraham Wright is my favorite of the bunch. Uh, excited to see what he's going to do up there in Piscataway. All right, there we go. Blue chip stock for Andrew Ivins, Charles Lester the second, the potential blue chip, Brandon Strozier, who Ivan says needs a four star. And then the Cowboys stock, the edge committed to Rutgers, Abram Wright, Drew. I'm, I'm a little disappointed, I got to say. I did not see the hammer there. So I'm going to have to drop the hammer for us, the blue chip stock. Drew, this is very personal for you. I'm going to make this personal. We're going into the state of Florida. Damon Wilson out of the state of Florida, the top 24-7 ranked number 102 currently in the top 24-7, 15 sacks, 23 tackles for loss. I just audited the edge position. I love this kid. I was kind of scratching my head and kind of saying, how did we have this kid at 102? But I looked at the spring tape and – I'll tell you what, this is a guy that plays with a lot of force, can go speed to power. He's disruptive off the edge. He plays to run equally as well. I love his motor. This is going to be a guy that I believe is going to play in the SEC. Love Damon Wilson. Hammer that stock. We're going into the teeth of the SEC country. Again, linebacker C.J. Allen from the state of Georgia, a new add to the top 24-7, a player now in the top 60. I love this kid. You talk about 6'1", 215 pounds plus 462 hundred meter 456 in the triple jump I believe two-way snaps to me the the, the comp there was uh, linebacker Jalen Walker who ended up signing with Georgia last year see a lot of similarities he's a little bit raw but I love this guy's upside I can continue to see this guy move up the board just athletic profile wise he is different uh, and certainly looks like a guy who fits the mold of a linebacker who's going to play in the SEC. And then our Cowboys stock. We're going to the great state of Massachusetts. And we're going to hammer my boy Ronan Hannafin, a little three-phase player, 6'3", 205. This guy's got all the juice. We got him as an 88 right now. I don't know if he's going to stick there. But Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson, 
all these guys are involved. We need to give this guy some love. I love this guy. I have no idea where he's going to play. But there's a little bit of the Creed Whitmore when you see him uh, as the comp, a guy who's just a football player. You don't know what he's going to be, but it's going to be something, and he's going to help his team. Notre Dame's in good standing right now for Hannafin. They just had him on campus. But those are my three. Okay, blue chip, we're going to hammer Damon Wilson. Potential blue chip, we're going to hammer C.J. Allen. And then the big hammer with the Cowboys stock run in Hannafin, we like that a lot. So that is our stock market for today. Drew, hell of a day. Way to bring the juice. Now, the last thing we're going to do, and I'm pretty sure this is the longest running show that we've had. One hour, 32 minutes, 59 seconds is what we're at right now. But Drew went to Las Vegas and claimed that it was strictly <laughs> business, even though he put a bet down for the Kentucky Derby. The betting lines, Andrew, out of out of one eye, when you were walking the casino lobbies, you might have saw some betting lines and a couple of them. Florida State LSU. We love talking about this game. The under is 51 and a half. Which way are you going here? Under. I, I think this like it's a smash hammer. Get the hammer out for that. Right. Like, uh, you know, LSU could start potentially a, a true freshman at left tackle. Right. You know, Florida State, uh, I think they have question marks across the board. I just cannot see a scenario where a ton of points are being scored in this game. Am I wrong here? No, I think you're right. And this is like Thor's hammer smash right here. I, I agree with you. I kind of went through it last night, and I'm kind of like looking at Florida State. I looked at LSU. I looked at both their spring games. I kind of like LSU defensively. They got a good defensive line. They've kind of brought in the reinforcements in the secondary. I think they're going to be pretty solid there. I think both quarterbacks are going to struggle a little bit. So I think it's going to be more of a defensive game. Right. 51 and a half is a lot of points. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to take the under on that one. So I think Drew and I are both in agreement there. Moving on to the next one, which is a very, very difficult one to call. Arkansas minus six versus Cincinnati. And this one pulls on my heartstrings. These are two teams that just do it the right way, have built it the right way. Cincinnati's getting ready to move into the Big 12 and Power 5 play next year. This is a really good precursor to what they're going to see. Cincinnati's a good team, and I, I think they're going to be ready to play. I don't think the quarterback drop-off is going to be as deep as people think it is, even though I like Desmond Ritter a lot. What do you think here, Arkansas minus six against Cincy? I'm going Arkansas minus six. I, I just think Cincinnati's losing too much, man. You know, that's kind of a, a magical season. This is a tough spot for them. I, the, the line jumped out to me because it's less than a touchdown, right? And, and, and Sam Pittman, I, I I don't know. I just – woo pig suey, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> I've been not, talking about not, all morning in my household, believe it or not. Uh, you know, my, my fiancé works for a company that does tailgates and their launch in Arkansas today. So I, I like Arkansas minus six, man. Arkansas has kind of been the bell of the ball. You know, I get paid a, a hard time about it. All he does is talk about Arkansas. He just loves Arkansas. Well, I'll, I'll clip this, send it to him, just let him know. I'm going to take Cincinnati, and, I, and I'll say this, because I think Cincinnati, outside of the Alabama and the college football playoff, that's just a different beast. They have showed up well in these games. Two years ago, they showed up well. They played Georgia really well, almost beat them. It took Georgia last-second field goal to beat Cincinnati. I kind of like Cincinnati in these big games. You get Luke Fickle a whole offseason – uh, to game plan for this. And I love Arkansas too. I'm not even saying Cincinnati wins this game, but I'm going to say they're going to cover the minus six against Arkansas. Uh, the last one, Drew, a little bit of an oddball, Western Kentucky at Hawaii week one, Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers favored by 13. I think you had a stat on here that was uh, 
pretty depreciating of Hawaii and the offensive production that they have coming back. They were, I believe they're 130th yeah, man. production out of 130th FBS teams. I love the rainbow warriors, but coach, what do you, where, where do you lie on this one? Hilltoppers so, minus 13. So, so to steal a, a term from the cover three podcast, this is straight sicko play, right? I, I know this, <laughs> this Saturday night, I've had a few beers. I'm on my couch, you know, diving into this one. I, I just think Western Kentucky um, when you kind of dig into it, they're, they're having a quarterback battle to, to replace Billy Zappi. And it, it's two guys that have played. Austin Reed, who was at West Florida, Division II Player of the Year. He actually coaches up a seven-on-seven team. So I talked to him at length about heading to Western Kentucky a few months ago. Um, I, I, they're going to win by two touchdowns, right? I mean, they're going to score points. And I just don't know how Hawaii is going to score points. So I think the fact that this is under 14 points, which is a key number. I mean, I'm smashing. Uh, Western Kentucky, or maybe I'm not smashing, but I know when I have to chase that Saturday night, uh, I'm rolling with the Hilltoppers. Go Big Red. Is that a Thor's hammer that you're smashing right there? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I like the bows, man. I love the bows. I love the direction that they're heading. But, you know, give me Thor's hammer and let me smash the Hilltoppers as well, minus 13. Sorry for the little misdirection there. But, Drew, that is our show. Shout out to the Ole Miss Rebels. They get a uh, commitment from top 24-7 offensive lineman, Bryson Sanders from the great state of Tennessee, which is in my area. So I got to give a shout out there. But listen, the guy played left tackle. He played right guard, super versatile among the offensive line. I think he's going to be a really good fit with the Rebels. That was a nice pickup for them. And Iowa State getting some momentum this weekend. They also get a crystal ball uh, for top 24-7 edge defender Blake Purchase, who I revisited this weekend. I like a lot. He is a hell of a player. So if the Cyclones can get that done, they're in good shape. Drew. Any final comments, questions, criticisms? Long show today, episode 11. There's a lot to be happy about. I'm going to keep kicking the can down the road and promising good things in our future. At some point, they will come for our listeners. At some point, we will be uh, uh, doing and expanding our reach here a little bit. But appreciate you guys being patient, following us on the 24-7 Sports account. Drew, final comments. What you got? I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Drew's man. got nothing. He just came in, disappointed. Every time before we jump on camera, Andrew says, the show starts at 9.30. He gets on camera at 9.28, and then he says, hold on. Let me change my shirt. And then at 9.31, he says, how does my lighting look? I say it looks terrible, and then we can't fix it until the next show. So that's it. But I uh, appreciate you guys being with us today. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. we got a lot of good stuff happening on CBS HQ. Make sure you plug in there. A lot of commitments happening. Make sure you follow 24-7 Sports. Our director of recruiting, Steve Wolfong, and Andrew Ives, breaking news left and right. Make sure you give those guys a follow on Twitter as well. But for now, that is it. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. We will see you another time. Tuesday, 9.30. Returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.